Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. The past few Sundays, we've been talking about the feasts and how a lot of these feasts had a very solemn and very serious tone to them and what it represented and how it represented our lives and how we are to serve the Lord and how we are to celebrate the Lord. And like I said, a lot of times, and I think especially in this day and time, the Old Testament is kind of tossed to the side because a lot of people will say, you know, the Old Testament's not really relevant in today's church and that it's a uh, lost art and that it is a um, particular section that is not really geared towards winning those to Christ. But I say absolutely not. I say it's absolutely essential. It's essential that we go back to the basics, that we go back to where we began as a people, where we began to fully know and understand God's plan for us. So I want to start with a little story for you this morning, because this morning I want us to celebrate. I want us to understand that the things that God has laid before us, the the laws, the different things that we have gone through as a people, they were intended to glorify God. They were intended to glorify our relationship to him. So I'll start with this. There is a story about an old missionary couple who had been working in Africa for years and were returning to New York City to retire. They had no pension, their health was broken, and they felt very defeated. They felt very discouraged, and they were afraid. They discovered they were booked on the same ship as President Teddy Roosevelt, who was returning from one of his big game hunting expeditions. And no one paid much attention to them, and they watched the fanfare that accompanied the president's entourage, and with passengers trying to catch a glimpse of this man. And as the ship moved across the ocean, the old missionary said to his wife, something is wrong. Why should we have given our lives in faithful service for all these years for God in Africa and have no one care a thing about us? Here this man comes back from a hunting trip and everybody makes all this fuss about him but nobody gives two hoots about us something's wrong dear the wife says you shouldn't feel that way he says but I can't help it it just doesn't seem right and when that ship docked in New York A band was waiting to greet the president. The mayor and other dignitaries were there. The papers were full of the president's arrival. But no one noticed the missionary couple. They slipped off the ship and found a 
cheap flat on the east side, hoping the next day to see what they could do to make a living in the city. And that night, the man's spirit broke. He said to his wife, I can't take this. God is not treating us fairly. To which his wife, his wife replied, Why don't you go into the bedroom, to the bedroom and tell that to the Lord? A short time later, he came out of the bedroom, but now his face was completely different. His wife asked, Dear, what happened? He said, The Lord settled it with me. He said, I told him how bitter I was that the president should receive this tremendous homecoming when no one met us as we returned home. And when I finished, it seemed as though the Lord put his hand on my shoulder and simply said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. This is not our home. But there will be a homecoming for those of us who are in Christ. And there will be a huge and exciting celebration on that day when it comes. And it will be a celebration like no other. So like I said, the past few weeks we've been examining the three fall festivals from Leviticus 23. And we've been looking at a, an anticipation of sorts and how each of the fall festivals are to be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ. And just as each of the spring festivals were fulfilled by his first coming, the first two fall festivals, which we've talked about in the last couple weeks, the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement, were both pretty solemn and serious observances. This final festival, which we will talk about this morning, the Feast of Tabernacles, is the complete opposite of the prior two festivals. Because you see, the final festival is an exciting time of celebration. So please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus 23, and we're going to read about this celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Leviticus 23, starting in verse 33. 23, says, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, the festival of shelters to the Lord begins on the 15th day of this seventh month and continues for seven days. There is to be a sacred assembly on the first day. You are not to do any daily work. You are to present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. And on the eighth day, you are to hold a sacred assembly and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You are not to do any daily work. These are the Lord's appointed times that you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies for presenting food offerings to the Lord, burnt offerings and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings, each on its designated day. These are in addition to the offerings for the Lord's Sabbaths, 
your gifts, all your vow offerings, and all your freewill offerings that you give to the Lord. You are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days after you have gathered the produce of the land. There will be complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. On the first day, you are to make the product of majestic trees, palm fronds, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to the Lord seven days each year. This is a permanent statute for you throughout your generations. Celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in shelters for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in shelters so that your generations may know that I made the Israelites live in shelters when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord, your God. And so Moses declared to the Lord's appointed times to the Israelites. So what are we to observe in this section of Scripture? Well, we notice some things about the festival itself. Number one is those temporary shelters. You see, the Feast of Tabernacles is also called Sukkot. And by those of Jewish heritage, it literally translates into booth or tent or shelter. In many of the various English translations of the Bible... But the word basically is referring to a kind of temporary shelter or dwelling. We'll unpack that a little bit more later. But the temporary nature of this shelter or dwelling is an important distinction that I want you to keep in mind this morning. Because we're talking about a celebration. This festival was to be a joyous Celebration, kind of a culmination of all these festivals that have come to, to pass and will come to pass. Verse 40 says, They are to rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And then the next verse says, To celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. And that may not adequately describe how grand this celebration really was or is going to be. Because it is a celebration like no other. So at Jerusalem, it was a grand spectacle. And as people started arriving in Jerusalem in the four days leading up to the festival, they would see rooftops, courtyards, streets, uh, public squares, roads, the gardens. They were all covered with green branches of palm, myrtle, willows. Citron, olive, all these different leaves, very, very green. And with all the people out of their houses and buildings putting the final touches on this festival, they then started on the first day of the festival, and the people would live in these temporary shelters for the remainder of the week, celebrating together. Now, we see this commonly. When people go to these concerts that are days on end, they set up shop, you know, maybe somewhere on the grass or what have you. But it's very similar to this. They were there for a long period of time. So they built these shelters so that they could stay 
and partake in all of the activities. But just imagine the noise, the crowds, the aromas of the freshly cut branches and the excitement. It was a citywide and nationwide tailgate party, if you will. It was full of music. They were singing hymns to God, dancing before the Lord with great rejoicing. But we also see in verse 40 that each day of the festival that would take up a handful of these palm fronds, branches from the leafy trees like the ones I just mentioned, and wave them before the Lord in celebration and rejoicing before him. Now, now we see people with lighters, right? You know, cheering on their band, right? Very similar, but very, very different at the same time. But this week of the Feast of Tabernacles is an exciting, extravagant celebration. Extravagant in that the burnt offerings during this time in this festival were by far more numerous than those of any other festival. Every day would involve sacrifices and grain offerings. And over the course of this seven-day festival, they would sacrifice 70 young bulls, 14 rams, 98 male one-year-old lambs, seven goats, and 672 quarts of fine flour mixed with oil. You might say, how do you know that number? Check it out in Numbers 29, okay? I didn't just make these numbers up, I promise. Numbers 29. But that was nothing, that was nothing compared to how the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated when Solomon completed the temple and dedicated it to the Lord during that Feast of Tabernacles. I recommend you read 1 Kings chapter 8. Talks all about it. But here is what we find at the end of that chapter. So 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 63. It says, Solomon offered a sacrifice of fellowship offerings to the Lord. 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. In this manner, the king of all the Israelites dedicated the Lord's temple. Now that was a celebration. That sounds like a barbecue I'd like to go to. It was a celebration. It was a harvest. This is a feast that coincides with the end of the harvest. And verse 39 says, To celebrate this festival after you have gathered the produce of the land. They gathered everything. They were giving everything of themselves, everything that they had to worship the Lord. This was a celebration, not of, oh, woe is me. Oh, the times are dark. Oh, I don't know how we're ever going to survive this world. Lord, please come now. Take us. I don't want to do this anymore. No, this was a celebration. And they knew without a shadow of a doubt that the Lord was with them. And they trusted him. They put their faith in him. But there is an actual, another name here for this festival that we find in Exodus 23, verse 16. It says this, Also observe the festival of harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field. 
And observe the festival of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. So the festival of harvest is another name for the springtime feast of first fruits. And the harvest festival at the end of the year is called the festival of ingathering. Kind of an interesting name, ingathering. The feast of tabernacles is when people celebrate the completion or the gathering of the final harvest in the fall. But with those observations in place, let's look at the significance of this important festival and why we're even talking about it this morning. Why is it relevant to us? Because we need to do one thing first, and that is we all need to remember and celebrate God's deliverance. First, with the Feast of Tabernacles, we are to remember and celebrate God's deliverance. In Leviticus 23, in the later verses of 42 and 43, you are to live in shelters for seven days. All the native born of Israel must live in shelters. You see, the people are reminded that they were delivered from slavery, from the oppression of the Egyptians. And it was God and God alone who brought them out of that land. And during this feast, the people celebrate that deliverance, their salvation. And they wave those palms in the air and sing songs of hallelujah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. They would also cry out, Yoshana, Yoshana, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is also from the Hello Psalms, which means, Save Lord, we pray. See, this word is used during a cycle of prayer sung each day of the Feast of Tabernacles. So, in addition to the singing and the celebrating and all the hoopla that was going on, they prayed. They prayed. Because they knew God had delivered them and that he was going to deliver them. And just like God is going to deliver us. And while we may not understand why things are the way that they are, and I know every once in a while we'll get glimpses of hope of like, oh, you know, maybe things are going to turn around. And then just like Satan, how good he is at what he does, he beats that down and says, no. This is how it really is. This is how you should feel. This is how you should approach your religion. This is how you should approach living in this world. But as Christians, we have a responsibility, don't we? We have a responsibility not only for our own personal relationship to Christ, but for those around us. When we have baptisms, and this is why I waited so long with Tucker, because I wanted him to understand what baptism really meant. Yes, it was a public declaration of his life in the Lord and that he has dedicated himself to that. But in turn, all of us are responsible to him to understand when he's a Christian and when he's growing in Christ, we have the responsibility to help him grow in Christ. And I told him, I said, if you're going to act up and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, I expect all these people to come and call and call you on it. 
He's like, really? Ooh. He had some second thoughts. And so we waited. And we talked about it. The Lord delivers us. He certainly does. Psalm 118.25 says this. Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. We want the good things, right? We want to see everything succeeding. We want to see the world come to know Christ. But we know in actuality, that is not our job while we're here. Our job is to put our faith in Christ and allow Christ to use us as the vessel to accomplish his purpose. It is not me going out and screaming at the top of my lungs and saying, you need to know Christ. You need to come to know and have a relationship to him. That is the great commission. And we are to do that. But it is not us who saves anyone. It is only through God's grace and his mercy and his ultimate sacrifice on the cross that we can accomplish that. Because Hosanna was used during this time of celebration, let me cry this out, it became associated with rejoicing. You know, we sing and we sing and also, hey, hallelujah. This is where this comes from. It became associated with rejoicing. As we see in the Gospels, when Jesus enters Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, except this time, they saw him and they were thinking that Jesus had come as their conquering king. That their day of deliverance from the Romans had arrived. Matthew 21, 8 and 9. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. And when the crowds who weren't ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They celebrated the coming of their Messiah with shouts of Yoshana, Yoshana, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they waved those palm branches in joyous celebration just like they would during the Feast of Tabernacles. And so we are to do the same. Now I know we don't have palm branches in our hands. So how do we wave that in celebration to the Lord? By living our lives in a Christ-like manner. By allowing God to use us as that vessel to reach others for Christ. Because when we don't do that, and believe me, the world is quick to jump on us for it. Oh, you hypocrites. But when we turn our lives to the Lord, and we live like that in a Christ-like manner... That is us waving ourselves in celebration. Their Messiah had come. He was Emmanuel, God with us. God tabernacled among us in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory. The glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. But he must first fulfill 
the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the First Fruits, and the Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost. And those four spring feasts were fulfilled with Jesus' first coming. He fulfilled those with his perfect, sinless life. His sacrificial death and resurrection from the grave. And with the sending of the Holy Spirit. So that those who believe in Jesus Christ. That he is the son of God. That he died for our sins and rose again from the grave. Defeating both sin and the grave. And those who believe and who by faith trust in Jesus. To forgive and deliver us from the evil one. Those are saved and become children of God. And because of Christ, we remember and we celebrate God's deliverance. That is what God and God alone, who was able to rescue us from slavery to sin, from the hands of our oppressor, Satan. That is cause for a hallelujah. That is cause for a hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Our salvation has come. And one day soon, Jesus will come again. And, he will, and we will celebrate our ultimate deliverance. Where there will be no more pain, no more suffering. Where Jesus will reign forever as the King of Kings. So the Feast of Tabernacles points us to that truth. The Feast of Tabernacles points us to Jesus to remember and celebrate that deliverance. Secondly, we need to remember and celebrate God's provision and protection. His provision and protection. But there is more than just deliverance. Keep in mind that this festival, this temporary tent, this temporary shelter that we are to be in, and this, this festival commemorates God's provision and God's protection and how God led his people during all the hardships of Israel's 40-year wilderness wandering. We remember that while they were lost... God came to save them. While we were lost, God came to save us. So we remember and we celebrate God's provision and protection. Why is this a concept of this festival, this temporary shelter? And why is it such a central theme to this feast? A booth of green tree branches isn't permanent. What happens when you cut the branch off? It withers away and dies, right? The tents in the wilderness weren't permanent. They were just passing through. The wilderness wasn't their home. The same is true of us. This world is not our home. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4.
For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. Since we are clothed, we will not be found naked. Indeed, we groan while we were in this tent, burdened as we are, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that mortality may be swallowed up by life. The word Paul uses here that has been translated as tent in English is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word of Sukkot, which is the name of this festival, a temporary shelter or dwelling. Something within us desires to put off this earthly tent and put on the permanent dwelling that has been made for each of us in heaven so that this quote-unquote mortality may be swallowed up by life. Does that make sense to you? I'll say it again. So that this mortality may be swallowed up by life. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we die to self, but in turn we gain life. We die to self, we gain life. This is not our place of rest and comfort. So if you came here today seeking rest, it's here. But God is explaining to us that we are not to sit forever. That he has called us to a purpose. That he's called us to do something amazing. And each and every one of us sitting in this room has an amazing purpose. Whether you've realized it or not, God is ready to do something wonderful through you and in you. So moving with that, we go through hardships. We go through times of struggle, a time of wandering like the Israelites did. And we long for that land that has been promised to us. With the Feast of Tabernacles, we remember that this is not our home. But we also remember that it's also a harvest festival celebrating God's Provision. So even in our wanderings, even in our hardships, even in our struggles, even in the frailties of this earthly tent that we reside on, we remember and celebrate God's provision and his protection. You see, God protected and he provided for the people of Israel as they were in the wilderness. He provided food. He provided shelter. He provided water from the rock. He provided his presence in the middle of their camp. He led them day by day and night by night. And every step, every step that they took did not wear out their sandals of those 40 years. Man, I wish I had a pair of sandals that lasted that long. 40 years. 
And then he took them out of their temporary shelters when their time of wandering was complete and he took them home. God does the same with us, with his children, because he is our God and we are his children. So we remember and celebrate God's provision and protection towards us, his children. And thirdly this morning, we remember and celebrate God's sovereignty, which takes us to the last point where we remember that Jesus said the fields are white unto harvest. But the feast of ingathering, as the Feast of Tabernacles was called in Exodus uh, 23, prophetically points to the time when the final harvest of souls has been completed and the true celebration can now begin in the Messianic kingdom. Matthew thirteen thirty six through 43. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from him his kingdom, all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. For seven days, a full period, the people were to dwell in their booths during the Feast of Tabernacles. And when the time is done, they move out of their booths, they tear them down, just as when our time is done. We shut off the lights, we lock the doors, and we go home. But God calls for an eighth day. And it's interesting that this feast makes mention of an eighth day in Leviticus 23.39. It says, you are to celebrate the Lord's festival on the 15th day of the seventh month for seven days. And after you have gathered the produce of the land, there will be complete rest on the first day and complete rest on the eighth day. So why is there an eighth day in a seven-day feast? Some people will look at it and say, well, people of the Old Testament didn't know how to count. No. Because on this eighth day, this day of rest, all things are made new. All things are made new. On the eighth day, it is a day of complete rest from our labors. In other words, God has taken over. We are with him in glory. And we will have our rest. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because these words are faithful and true. Why do we have God's instruction. Why do we have the Bible? Because it's truth. And it has been verified over and over and over again. Don't let the world tell you any different. He speaks truth. This is the eighth day, the day that will never end, where the darkness of night will no longer fall upon the land. So we remember and we celebrate God's sovereignty. God's plan is perfect and is unfolding exactly as he has ordained it. So even when we struggle and we don't understand why God is doing what he's doing, we celebrate the fact that God is in control. We celebrate with everything in our fiber and our being, even the things that are happening in this world. We understand this is part of his plan. We may not agree with it. We may not understand it. It might make us feel like we're, we just feel very, very lousy about it. And that's okay. We should feel lousy about it. It should inspire us to reach those who are making this place lousy. The eighth day is coming soon. A day when all things are made new. So how do we respond to this this morning? We remember and celebrate God's deliverance. So, has he set you free from your sin? And if so, remember back to that day and celebrate. Remember and celebrate God's protection and provision. As you look back through your life, can you see the hand of God leading you, guiding you, protecting you, and providing for you? If so, celebrate. Remember and celebrate God's sovereignty. For the wages of sin is death. And these earthly tents that we're living in will be dismantled and put away at the end of that Feast of Tabernacles. And we will move into our permanent homes where we belong. So will your final permanent home 
be a place filled with peace and light and the presence of God? And will you join in that celebration like no other? Or will your final permanent home be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth? And like I said earlier, this is not our home. But there will be that homecoming for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there will be a huge and exciting celebration and a time of jubilee where we will too say, Yoshana, Yoshana, Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Worship team. Come on up this morning. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. Amen. This is not where I belong. We're going to do an invitation this morning. I enjoy invitations because it's an opportunity. If God has been convicting you, it's not a show in front of people. It's a place to come and to let Lord know. He already knows. But to let us rejoice with you in whatever decision you're going to make. Maybe a decision to join this fellowship. And you saw that list. And you said, you know what? I can, I'm in. I can do this. There's room. Maybe it's to rededicate your life. Maybe it's to pray at the altar. Maybe it's to stand this morning and be reminded in your heart and reflect on what he's done. Oh, Lord, what you've done. If you have a decision you'd like to make and you want to make it right now, we invite you. Do you know that if you died today that you would be in heaven with the Lord? Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead, paying the penalty for our sins, and to purchase a place for us in heaven that he offers as a free, free gift. There's room. There's room. He loves you. He calls you as we sing. Oh, see. On the hill of Calvary, my Savior bled for me, and my Jesus set me free. And look at the wounds that give me life, grace flowing from His side, no greater sacrifice.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these decisions that are being made. We thank you that you have facilitated it through and through. Lord, we thank you and we look forward to that time of celebration when we join you in the clouds and that we will be forever separated from sin, from death, from pain, from all the things that we've experienced here on this temporary shelter we call earth. Thank you that this is not our home. Thank you that we will join you soon in our permanent home with you in glory. We thank you for our time here today, and I pray as we leave here that we will find others who also need to know the Lord, to have a relationship with you so that they too can celebrate on that day. Thank you for our time again, and all of God's people said, Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.